Thank you, Dave and Beth. Ladies, what a blessing. Amen. You know, uh, the church is not supposed to sound like the world. And um, when I was saved out of the world at the age of 24, I never understood why saved people want the church to sound more like the world sounds. I appreciate our singers. Amen. And um, go ahead and get in your Bible to two places, if you would. Ephesians 5 and Titus chapter 2. Appreciate Brother Ted filling in uh, last week while uh, I was away on vacation. As I said this morning, it's good to be back. And Maggie gave me a good report on what he said. And, you know, whenever you can get your wife to compliment you, you know it's a good day. And at least in my house, if pretty much if I don't toot my own horn, it remains untooted. And so um, I, I really appreciate the men and people God's raised up here. For several weeks and Sunday evenings now, we have been talking about a practical doctrine that is very poorly understood in our culture. Our culture usually fails to understand where rightful authority comes from, how leaders should use rightful authority, and how those who follow should respond to rightful authority. And once we understand this principle, I think it's pretty easy to understand why our culture is deteriorating, and many of the Lord's churches are deteriorating right along with it. Um, though I do believe many believers understand uh, authority and how it applies to leaders and followers, all of us are under the constant influence and barrage of a culture uh, around us that misuses uh, all of authority and leadership and following. And quite frankly, as I've said several times, our flesh hates authority unless it's our own authority. As I've also said several times, I'm not teaching on this subject because I'm aware of some problem with rightful authority here. I'm teaching this because I want the Lord's church and I want our homes to be more like our Creator designed them to be because when we do that, our home is more secure, people are more secure, and it is a great opportunity in life for all of us. Uh, <laughs> We talked first and foremost how God, of course, himself is the ultimate authority and how that God then, because we cannot visibly see him today or audibly hear him today, delegated some of his authority to his written word. And his written word is the only inerrant and infallible authority in our world today. We talked about how God then in his word delegated authority to certain people in certain circumstances, the authority of a husband over his own wife, one equal, choosing to submit to another equal to fulfill a role God designed, the authority of parents over their own children, one equal, choosing to submit to another equal to fulfill a role God designed, the authority of a pastor over the congregation he's called and chosen to lead, one equal, submitting to another equal to fulfill the role God designed, and God as I've said so many, many times, God did not give parents or husbands or pastors authority to do what they want to do. God gave anyone who has authority from God authority to do what He wants done in each of those situations. At this point, we've talked about several different principles that apply to leaders of all sorts and followers of all sorts. And the last time I spoke, we talked about a leader's responsibility to watch for the souls of those who look to them. And we talked about several practical ways a godly leader can do that. And I hope as we have been going through each of these things that 
you are mostly considering yourself as a leader and as a follower rather than dredging up all the failures of leaders and followers in your past because everything that happened in the past, though it does give context to the present, uh, none of us are helped today dwelling on anything that happened yesterday. All of us are helped today by focusing on what we need to focus on today. And so what I want to do next, Lord willing, for the next couple of weeks and take is take these principles that we've talked about for leaders and followers now for quite some time and I want to apply them to the three key areas of life uh, and since our marriages and our parenthood and in the Lord's church are three key areas where all these principles apply it should be no surprise that God has a lot to say about them and it should be no surprise that they're very helpful for all of us if we would pay attention to them. And tonight, we're going to begin in our homes with husbands and wives. Now, I realize there are plenty of children and teenagers in here who are not married. And all I would say to you is put this somewhere in your memory bank. And put it in there because somewhere along in your life, these things are going to help you. And if you're an adult here and you're not married uh, listen, there are going to be circumstances in your life where someone in the circle of your life is going to come to you and they're going to be looking for advice. They're going to be looking, say, well, what do you think about? And so for all of us here, in one way or another, all of these things can be very helpful. This morning was theological. This morning was prophetic. This morning was from the Old Testament. Uh, tonight, we're going to just be very, very practical. If you could tonight, if you're able to stand, to stand in honor of the Word of God. Uh, we're in our seventh message on the authority of God in our life. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Keep your hand there because we'll be back there. It should be also in Titus chapter 2. This was the theme for our seasoned ladies teaching our younger ladies a couple of years ago. Lord willing, we're going to do something similar to that this coming summer. Uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, the aged women. I know no one likes to be called that. But it says, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Notice it says that they may be. And so those qualifications from verse 3 are the things that you should have if you want to teach younger ladies. Notice that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Thank you, you might be seated. Now Ephesians 5 is probably the best known section of New Testament scripture that speaks directly to Husbands and wives, there is 
one in Colossians, there's one in 1 Peter 3, we'll read later, and we also read the one in Titus chapter 2 that has something to say about that relationship. And sadly, because of their lack of faith in God, uh, some women who know what Ephesians 5 contains just bristle at the idea that we're even going to talk about Ephesians 5 and what the New Testament teaches about the husband and wife relationship and the wife in that relationship. Let me just say this. God knew what he was doing when he established the roles for both husbands and wives in the home. Uh, Now, some men, uh, when I say Ephesians chapter 5, and they know we're going to be talking about that, um, they lean back smugly in their seat as if God only had instruction for wives in there, and they forget that the standard that God has set for a husband in a relationship is much higher than the standard he set for a wife uh, when he said that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And when we think about the fact that Christ teaches us that a husband ought to love his wife uh, like Christ loved the church, you cannot help but conclude that husbands and wives fulfilling our God-given role is very important to God. In fact, it's interesting to me that when the Bible describes the relationship of Jesus Christ and his church that he shed his blood for, Notice what he says in verse 31 of Ephesians 5. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. This is a truth not revealed before this. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. It is sad to me that oftentimes... Women refuse to even attempt to submit to their own husband, and they're proud of not even trying. It is also sad to me that we oftentimes see men refusing to attempt to love their wives unconditionally, and they seem to be unrepentant and don't care if they get any better at it at all. Listen, husbands and wives who reject God's plan are not producing happy secure homes, and they are not making the kind of picture that is intended to be made for their children to see of the relationship of Jesus and his church. And though much of our society and Christendom does not understand God's plan for a loving home and marriage, listen, it would be in all of our own best interest to submit to God in this area of life. Hear me when I say something really simple. God is just as wise and just as accurate when he teaches us about the best role for husbands and wives in the home as he is wise and accurate when he teaches us that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, you have no more reason to reject your God-given role in the home then you have to sit back and reject Ephesians 2 when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now there are very few areas in the church where we play more word games and toss away God's instruction more than we do in the marriage relationship. Listen, moms teach their sons and daughters by their behavior, 
that submitting to a husband is archaic and demeaning instead of teaching them that it is loving obedience to Christ as one equal submits to another equal. Dads sadly teach their sons and daughters by their behavior that being the spiritually, spiritual leader and unconditionally loving their wife is a role that can be ignored when it gets tough instead of teaching them that doing so is loving obedience to Jesus Christ. The words God chooses to describe the roles of husbands and wives in the relationship are very powerful and they're very clear. God has chosen words for both the husband and the wife that are something every one of us need to recognize and to do the best we can to build. All these things are built. None of these things are gifts. All these things are a process. None of these things are automatic. And none of us are going to do them perfectly. But God does expect every one of us to get in the process of applying and building these qualities in our life as husbands and as wives. I want you to notice first tonight the biblical words that characterize a wife's relationship with her husband. Notice in Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Submit is a strong, powerful word. Looking in verse 33 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That's a powerful word. That word reverence everywhere else in the Bible is translated in our Bible as fear. A synonym for uh, this word would be respect. Go to Titus chapter 2. If you would, please, and let's see a couple of other words that God chooses to describe a wife's role in the relationship. Listen, you're never going to come to Bible Baptist Church and hear me just rail on wives and their role. Neither are you going to ever come here and hear me just rail on husbands and their role. God has given each of us a role in our relationship. And you here, you young people who are not yet married, these are things that you need to be looking for and trying to build in your life to prepare for the kind of home and marriage the Lord is looking for. Notice in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, it's a powerful word. He says, uh, in verse 4, says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. By the way, that word there is not the word you might think, agape love, the kind of deep abiding love. I think women naturally have that toward her husband. That is a word that we call friendly love, phileo love, like the city of Philadelphia. And I don't think women more as naturally have that friendly kind of love toward her husband. And that's why God commands and adds that to the role of a wife in the relationship with her own husband. And then another incredibly dirty four-letter word in verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands. I mean, wow, what a hated word in our culture and to our flesh. By the way, if you're here and you're a lady, don't be surprised if you struggle with all these. Uh, we struggle with all these toward a perfect God. How much more toward an imperfect husband? Ladies, don't be surprised if you struggle with your tendency to hate all authority, including your husband's. 
We all hate it. It's a part of our nature, not a good part. Our ladies, don't be surprised if you struggle with these because you know the weaknesses and faults of your husband all too well. Submission does not mean you always agree. It does not mean you always see things the same way. It does not mean you always do everything the same way or always want the same thing. It does mean you are an honored equal as you submit rather than consider yourself to be this proverbial doormat. Submission does mean that in the end of a discussion and a disagreement, that you should humbly try to follow your husband's leadership. Doesn't mean you don't speak up. Doesn't mean you aren't clear with what's in your mind and heart. It does mean, in the end of the discussion, you follow your husband's leadership. Let me do this for myself. Amen. And despite the difficulty of obeying God in this area of life, God blesses that kind of effort. Have you ever thought about this? Your husband is likely the only leader in your life that you had 100% say in who will lead you. I mean, think about it. You had no say in who the true God is. You had no say in who the one true Savior is. You only get to choose whether you will obey that one true God and Savior. You didn't have any say in who your parents were. None. You only chose whether you would obey them while you were in their home and if you'll honor them all your life. You only had some say in who leads you in the church and in your workplace and in the government. And for anybody that thinks that God's plan is unreasonable in marriage, I'll remember, he allowed you to pick the man to whom you would give these things. Hear me, brother, it is not your place to demand them. But it is your role, sister, to give them. God allowed you to choose your own husband, and I'm not aware of any marriages God arranged. Zero. Well, what about Abraham? No, no Abraham gave instruction to his servant who prayed for God to send the right person, and when Rebekah came along and met these unusual conditions, the servant said, uh, God chose Rebekah. And then Isaac chose to take her when the servant brought her back. By the way, if you're a parent here and you think you should pick your children's marriage partner, please stop. I do think you ought to have some influence, but it's your kid's job as an adult to do that. Ladies, if your husband is not a good leader now, he was probably worse when you picked him. A good woman makes a better leader out of her husband, not worse. See, as long as your husband isn't trying to get you to do something ungodly, immoral, illegal, or contrary to God's word, you should sincerely try to follow the leadership of the man you chose. Listen, if you're a godly lady here, and you're seasoned at all, you understand that God placed you in a powerful, influential role, even though he made your husband the authority. When I ask every wife who's sitting here tonight, will you choose God's plan in your relationship with the man you chose? 
as again, I say this again, husbands should not demand this. Husbands should not throw this up in your wife's face. Listen, unconditional love doesn't do that. And brother, if your wife is not trying to behave like this, fulfill your role to unconditionally love her and commit her to God in prayer. Let me ask you, ladies, do these four words characterize you as a wife? Are you trying to build them? If not, tonight's a good night to repent, begin to try to build and add these. Uh, Remember, your submission is not even tested until you disagree. As long as you both agree on what's supposed to be done, your submission isn't tested. It's only when you disagree about what needs to be done that it's actually on display. But it isn't just their clear biblical words that describe a wife's relationship with her own husband. Go next in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3 because there are some very clear biblical words that characterize a husband's relationship with his wife. Remember, God doesn't ever just instruct the follower without instructing the leader. God does always instruct the follower first and then the leader, but he always has instruction for both. And brother, if what went through your mind just a minute ago all had to do with how well your wife does or doesn't do what I taught, you're missing the point. This is not about you correcting your wife. This is about your wife understanding what God has asked her to do and her working on this in your life, on her life, and God, you taking what God asked for you to do and working on it in your life because he has some strong words to characterize our relationship with our own wife we read one of them just a moment ago when he said in ephesians 5 husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it and that isn't the brotherly friendly kind of a love that's a deep abiding agape love the love of god and god has used a very powerful word when he says husbands unconditionally love deeply your wife notice a couple of other things that characterize a husband's relationship with his wife. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife. Now, by the way, before I go on, you will never nag your husband into faithfulness. Never. That's not how you win your husband. Verse 2 says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. By the way, it's not the lesson tonight, but if you're a parent of a young lady, that is the spirit you're supposed to be teaching them. That is not a feminist spirit. Let me just say it for myself. Amen. A meek and quiet spirit. Kind of interesting. We're not studying it tonight, but my mind is chasing a rabbit. If we're looking at the whorish woman in Proverbs, it says she's loud and stubborn. So that's just the way I am. Well, maybe all of us are not supposed to just be the way we are. Maybe we're supposed to all be in process of 
submitting the way we are to the Lord Jesus. But after instructing the followers in the relationship, now he's going to begin to instruct the men. Well, I mean, in verse 6 he does that, verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Here it is. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Did you catch those two key difficult things for us as husbands? First, in verse 7, dwell with them according to knowledge. Uh, dwell is investing time. According to knowledge, trying to understand. Did you hear me? Not only this deep abiding love, but investing time in them and trying to understand them. You say, you don't know my wife. She is un-understandable. It's your job to try to understand her. You picked her. Notice the second quality for husbands there. By the way, I'm just teaching the Bible. If you're all mad at me tonight, you're just wasting your effort. And not a thing I've said isn't clearly in this book. Your issue isn't me. The issue is your pride and your worldliness and your refusal to think that our Creator knows more than you do. In verse 7, he continues, uh, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel. Now, while I do believe it is generally true that a wife is weaker physically, it is seemingly, rarely, or Maybe only sometimes true that the wife is weaker spiritually. Very often the wife is stronger spiritually. Your wife is a weaker vessel in that she's more easily broken and harder to repair when she is hurt. Listen, if you haven't been married long enough to understand that your wife doesn't get over things as quickly as you do, you haven't been paying attention. He says giving honor under the weaker vessel. Honor your wife. Those are strong words. By the way, men, don't be surprised if you struggle with these because our natural tendency for all of us is to care only about ourselves. Men, don't be surprised if you struggle with these because you know the weaknesses and faults of your wife all too well. But despite the difficulty of obeying God in this area of our life, hear me when I say you will be blessed, your home will be better, your marriage will be better if you sincerely try to build and follow these things in your marriage relationship. Have you ever thought about this? Your wife is likely the only follower in your life you had 100% say in who you would lead. You had no choice in the children that you lead. While they're under your roof, God chose them. You only had a partial choice in who follows you in the church, in your employment, in the government. And for those who think that providing unconditional love and leadership in the home and being held responsible by God for how you do so is too tough, I just want to remind you, he allowed you to pick the woman. You chose your own wife. The woman that you are supposed to love more than yourself, more than anything, 
and more than anyone on this planet other than God. If your wife is not a good follower now, she doesn't submit very well to your authority, (laughs) chances are that's part on you. Good husbands build their wives into better followers because of the kind of leader they are and because of the kind of person they are. So I ask every husband here tonight, will you choose to embrace God's plan in your relationship with the woman you chose to unconditionally love, to uh, dwell with according to knowledge, to spend time to try to understand, to honor, to highly value them? Brother, do you ever in your prayer say something like this, God, help me love and honor my wife more? That should be a part of a Christian husband's prayer life, just like it should be a part of a Christian wife's prayer life. Dear God, help me submit and follow my husband's authority better. Neither one are natural. They're supernatural. Do these things characterize you as a husband? If not, tonight's a good time to repent and begin to build these in your life. Listen, these are all built. They're all a process. We all have to start where we are, become aware of our Creator's plan for our relationship, and then, by the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit in us, build these things in our life. And I remind you that your love for your wife and your honor for your wife, it is not even tested until she is being difficult to love and difficult to honor. But it's not just their clear biblical words that describe a husband's relationship with his own wife. Uh, Here's number three. There are practical ways to apply these principles. If you've been around here much, you've heard all these before. If you've been in the marriage class I teach, they're in in there. If you've been to me for marriage counseling, which meant last time I counted was over 50 couples uh, from our church Uh, membership at one time or or another. You've heard these things before. Listen, it is by and large not some great new thing we need. It is applications of great old truths that we need. And while there is plenty of theology and history in the Bible, our Creator also gave us a lot of practical helps to help us in the key relationships of our life. How do I practically apply these? Here's number one. Make full use of all God has given to support and encourage you. I know a lot of people don't understand this, but you need the Lord's church and you need people God has gifted to teach and preach and encourage and all those things. You need the house and the family of God. They they help us. We're just constantly reminded and drawn into what we're supposed to be when we come to the house of God. You need the ministries of the church to help you. I'm amazed at at people, they have a a half-hearted relationship with the Lord, they have a half-hearted relationship with the church, they have a casual way they follow Jesus, and they wonder why their home and life is not blessed. How do I apply these? Here's number two. Don't take each other for granted. Keep making effort with each other. If you've ever been in my marriage class or ever sat with me talking about marriage, one of the things I tell everybody is continue to date. If you don't have a budget, you should have a budget. 
And in that budget, there ought to be something to go do something with your spouse, ideally at least once a week. Now listen, I don't believe you need to always go to Ruth Chris' Steakhouse. I've actually never even been there, but I've heard it's good. I'm just a country kid, man. A steak and a grill is just as good to me as anything else. Uh, Listen, I don't care if you go to Walmart and don't spend a penny and just look for 45 minutes at Walmart shoppers. I, I, I don't know if people eat bologna sandwiches. It doesn't matter to me if you eat bologna sandwiches and potato chips and just go sit in the park. It doesn't matter to me if you sit together with the kids in bed and your phone's put away and you watch the latest episode of Monk. Or what's that series with Patrick Jane? What's that series? What is it? What, the mentalist. Yeah, and you just sit there and watch your wife just talk about how attractive Patrick Jane is. I, I, I don't care what you do. That, that is far less important than the fact that you just share life's experiences. How do I practically apply these things? Number three, when you disagree, fight fair. <laughs> And I could spend 15 minutes on this, but I'm just going to say this. Uh, in disagreeing in marriage is inevitable. How we disagree makes all the difference in the world as to whether someone has damaged feelings and a lot of things to forgive and move on from. Here's number four. Don't expect your spouse to be another one of you. Here's number five, if he's not the man you hoped he'd be, try to build him into a better man instead of tearing him down. Hey, listen, when you tear your husband down, you've tore down the individual that God placed in your life to lift you up. Here's number six, if she's not the woman you hoped she'd be, try to love and honor her into being a better woman instead of tearing her down. (laughs) When you regularly criticize and tear down your wife, You tear down and lure the one God placed there to lift you. Here's number seven. Do your part to fulfill your role as best you can, regardless of whether your spouse fulfills there or not. For those of you who are in the first week of marriage, and I don't think we have anybody here, well, close, Cody, uh, anybody who's been married more than a month, you know, you, you soon come to realize that you know, you're going to have to fulfill these roles at times for Christ's sake. Do you understand that in every area of life, there are going to be times when you do what you're supposed to do, not because the people around you deserve it, not because your spouse deserve it, not because your kids deserve it, not because of the people at church, you do what you do for Christ's sake. And that's going to be like this with these roles. Here's number eight, don't expect perfection. Treat their humanity, their weaknesses, and their failures like you would like yours to be treated. You know how I want my flaws treated? With mercy. One time my wife left the bowling ball out that I left out just to see how long I'd leave it out. It was by the door. I mean, I went out that door, I mean, multiple times a day. After several weeks, she just picked it up and then told me she'd left it out. I honestly didn't even notice it. Is that true? How long did you leave it there? Weeks. 
a good month, there you go. So what'd you do? I walked by it every day, never noticed it even once. Uh, listen, I would like grace and mercy for my flaws. I'm not proud that I'm clueless. Here's number nine. Seek to meet the physical and emotional needs of your spouse as best you can. I'm amazed at women who dress immodestly for work and wear wool pajamas at home. I'm amazed at men who will talk and share what they're thinking and their feelings with some woman at work, but not your wife. Hey, listen, do the best you can to give your spouse no good reason to go anywhere. You may not understand their needs. You may not agree with them having a need, but just meet it as best you can. These are just practical ways to help our marriages and fulfill the role our Creator designed in marriage. Remember, marriage is God's institution. America doesn't get to vote on what marriage is. The Supreme Court or the President or the legislature in Washington or Columbus, they don't get to decide on what marriage is. I mean, they can say all day long that Sue and Betty can be married, but listen, that is not marriage in God's sight. God decides what's marriage, what, what marriage is, and you and I decide whether or not we'll get in on God's plan and have a blessed marriage, or we won't. I mean, just ask you, will you seek with the grace and help of God to apply these, or will you do something else and then just complain that it didn't work? Which gets us to our last thing. There's just a couple of things to remember as we try, by the grace of God, to fulfill these roles. Remember, none of these roles are instant. Sometimes, some of the aspects of these roles, listen, it, it, it'll take years. My hand's up. I, I hope today, if you ask my wife privately and say, is, is, is Brother Wally a better husband today than he was five years ago? I, I would hope she would say yes. If I really wanted to know, I would ask her. But sometimes when you can't stand the answer, you don't ask the question. Just a couple of things to remember. Number one, remember your wife is not your mom or your baby or your child to be bossed around or constantly controlled. Uh, uh, listen, brother, just because God made you the leader of the home, that does not make your wife your child. She is your lover, she is your lifetime partner, and you ought to handle that just like that. Here's the second thing to remember. You chose one another and loved one another at one time. And so if you're saved and the God of love lives in you and you don't love today, you can love again. If you don't love like you should, you can love more. God, who is love, lives in you. Here's the third thing to remember. You chose to commit yourself to one another for life with God and others as witnesses. And so even in the difficulties and valleys of marriage, stay together. If you privately talk to anybody who has a good marriage, who've been married for 30 or 40 or 50, or like Jim and Betty, 65 years, they will tell you this. There were some times when it was tough. And the difference is, is that some people, when it's tough, they figure out a reason to stay together instead of figuring out a reason to leave. 
Here's number four. Remember, it's always hardest to get along with the people you spend most time with. You know, somebody else's spouse, they only seem better because you don't know them as well. And quite frankly, if you knew him better, what you would find is, you know, in the area your spouse is weak that you so admire them for, there's some other, uh, other area where your spouse is great and they're terrible. You may not remember this, but a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was three years ago when Brother Ouellette was here the last time we were in our old auditorium, he said every wife is about the same. Every husband's about the same. See, when you're thinking to yourself, well, if I just had a different one, uh, it would be better. No. No. We're all about equally bad. Here's number five. Remember, you can rise above all you've seen and known in the home you grew up with. I want to thank God that by the grace of God, regardless of you coming up in a home where your parents we're not at all what they should have been. You can have a loving home. You can be a godly mom and dad. Here's number six. <laughs> Remember the biggest enemy to your home being happy and secure is selfishness. So do everything you can to battle your own. In most cases, there's plenty of blame to go around. No one succeeds instantly, but hear me when I say you can succeed and build the home your heart desires with Christ's help. God's plan in marriage is not to be hated or dreaded. Oh, goody, we're going to Ephesians 5. The preacher's going to tell my wife to submit. Oh, goody, we're going to Ephesians 5. The preacher's going to tell my husband to unconditionally love me. Now, listen, there's a big difference in gritting your teeth and doing what you're supposed to do and joyful submission and joyful love and honor. What will you choose? If you're married, your marriage is the most important relationship in your life other than your relationship with God. If you're not married and you're single, it ought to be something that you look to God to help you and to build these things in your life because God wants to help you do so. And in closing, one simple sentence. No one will do these things without Christ in your life. These things are the supernatural things. That's why our culture is such a mess. It is doing the natural things. These things are supernatural things. And with Christ in you, and you yielding to him, every one of us can do better at these things. You'd quietly stand.